Hi, today is January 22nd, 2023. Happy Lunar New Year, the year of the rabbit. Uh, this is Morning's Podcast number 442. We got a bunch of little-ish things. And then, uh, I think we should go with John's announcement first. <laughs> uh, we can. Uh, this is actually a crazy idea that one of my colleagues and I have been teasing out over literally the last couple hours we've not you know this, but <laughs> we're sort of searching for ways to bring academia into the 20th century and uh, 20th not 21st people know uh well sometimes 20th i mean literally some of the technologies we're using are just uh new ideas of something that's been around forever you know so okay. uh you know, classified ads in a sense have been around forever and most job posting websites and things like that are just the digital analogous of that. But we're trying to actually we're trying to move something from 1990 to 2018 or so. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have come up with the idea of starting a discord server that would be based around psychology uh, and the intersection of psychology and other areas. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm using my moniker Battling Pickle. For those that uh, don't know, I have a podcast feed that I do every so often while I'm teaching classes. That's Battling Pickle Podcast. Uh, my current institution is Delta State University. One of our mascots is the Fighting Okra. So Battling Pickle is what a Fighting Okra is often mistaken for. It does but look like anyway, a pickle. It does. So this is Battling Pickle's Psych Out, uh, which psychology is in everything so we're really open for a lot of different discussion here mm -hmm. but if you're interested in joining the the discord server we're gonna try to get it going with our students with our colleagues around the the country things like that but you can just go to go.johnwestfall.com slash psych out and it will give you the discord join link and yeah, jump in. Right now there's only a few channels, uh, a place for general chat, a place to post any uh, psych news or anything you find interesting. And like I said, technology and psychology, in my opinion, go hand in hand. Because yep. so much of what makes technology interesting and attractive to us isn't so much the bits and bytes as it is how we enrich our lives with it. And once you make that change over from, oh, it's just really cool how the software does this to, oh, it's really cool how this enriches my life, that's psychology right there. There you go. So definitely feel like jumping in. If people, if our fives of listeners would like to join in, I'm happy to, to have uh, dedicated channels to discussing those sorts of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go.johnwestfall.com slash psychout, P-S-Y-C-H-O-U-T uh, is the short link. And as a bit of a trivia, a related trivia, I once taught uh, behavioral instrumentation in computers at the University of Hawaii for a couple semesters. That was a lot of fun. Well, at least it was fun for me. I'm not sure how the students felt about it. <laughs> but uh, I, I get the sense that a lot of our listeners know, obviously, about my psychology background. I don't know if many of them know your psychology background. <laughs> Well, there's not much to say, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have a, a BA and an MA, and uh, I was ABD uh, because I couldn't figure out how to finish my dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, it was it was a lot of fun, and I'm still in contact with my professors, believe it or not. And as a retiree, I'm in contact with my former professors. In fact, I just got an email from one of them this morning. Um, sometimes I get homework from them, which is, it's just kind of interesting. <laughs> like you should read this, 
But in any case, uh, all right. So we'll put the URL in the in the uh, blog, the Moldy's blog for this podcast, so you can go to it. It's go.johnwestfall.com slash psychout. And goodness gracious, I hate it when people on TV say forward slash because there is no other slash in a URL. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. <yeah. laughs> but I blame Microsoft for that with their backslash paths in MS-DOS. Mm-hmm. But anywho. Okay, so speaking of schools, I'm going to move up one of our uh, one of our discussions. It should be a short discussion. So there is a high school, and you know, I didn't even uh, I don't even remember where it is. Let me see. I have the I have the article here up on the screen. The high school is on. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Walbrum, Massachusetts, uh, and th- they had a software failure uh, for their lighting system for the building lighting system. Back in August of 2021, so a year and a half ago, roughly, and they have not been able to turn off the lights in the school since then. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know what kind of software failure it is that you can't just go hit a physical switch to turn it off. But um, I guess the whoever built it really did a nasty on them and made it so difficult to understand that they can't figure out which literal switch to turn off to turn the lights off every night. But, you know, it goes to show you, you know, sometimes we kind of take uh, all kinds of things like debugging, logic testing, uh, you know, load Mm -hmm. testing, and most importantly, business continuity. What happens if your vendor just disappears? And this does happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even a light switch needs a business continuity plan, uh, especially if it's going to cost you thousands of dollars uh, per, you know, per period, per month or whatever. If uh, if you mess up, so just a word to the wise for the those of you who have young devs working with you or for you to remind them that you know it's really important to check this stuff, not just from a technical point of view, from a business point of view. I think too often we forget mm-hmm. the business side of of, com- of computing. But anyhow, well, this this reminds me a lot of a number of years ago. I was doing some volunteer work and. The organization I was with uh, asked me about their voice over IP phones, and they mm-hmm. said, "You know, we know that this isn't what we 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 hired you for, or mm-hmm. engaged your services for, but maybe you know it, and I happen to know enough about it." And they said, "You know, our phones have this weird issue where every so often you just can't make a phone call within this building to that building or whatever, and we've got a." Uh, you know, contract with the person, but they're real busy. We're low on their list because we're a nonprofit. They they come out when they have a chance, and they just haven't been around in a while to look at it. Would you mind going into the server room and just seeing if there's some obvious fix? Okay. And so I went into the server room, and I logged into the console, and I brought up the voice over IP management software. I forget which system it was, but, you know, it was a Polycom or a Via or something like that. You know, one of the big voice over IP systems. Sure. And on the console, as, as soon as I locked into the, the system, the console was flashing a message saying, pending software changes, please reboot system. <laughs> oh, no. So I hit a button that said reboot. Right. And... The phone next to the computer went, you know, it did a reboot cycle. And beyond uh-huh. that, no other problems. It just had had pending system updates for wow. months. And no one had been in there to just hit reboot. And as soon as I hit reboot, everything was fine. I hope you charged and them a lot. 
<laughs> I was volunteering. Uh, no, what oh. I did was I wrote a little manual for them. Oh my kind goodness! Of a basic how to manage your your stuff. Right. And it was including things like, you know, how do you add a phone extension or just change a voicemail password? Right. That was something that they had. You know, for years they had voicemail boxes that were inaccessible because they didn't know how to change a password, and oh, their no. would come around that often. So. It's little things like that that, yes, you might have an outside vendor that handles something, but your internal team should know enough to do the basics without there that outside go. vendor being wholly dependent on them. There you go. And especially since outside vendors can disappear. I mean, I've seen large projects where a vendor has you know, gone bankrupt or there's been some kind of a litigation that's you know, caused, a, let's call it a rift. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah you know, exactly. Uh, and I don't it's think important. it's, I think some people have, I've heard the argument that it's, well, it's disrespectful to your vendor. It's implying that you don't trust them. No, it's not that. It's just a realist realism that the vendor could go away. It's you know, a best tomorrow, practice is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that my vendors win the lottery and they decide to retire on the beach and never take another work phone call ever again. I would love that for anyone. But if it's my vendor, I especially need to know what to do in that case. There you go. So you don't oh, have to God. wish that they get hit by a truck or whatever, you know, <laughs> analogous thing could be. It doesn't have to be negative. It could be a positive thing. Sure. But it's still a thing that's going to affect your business. Yeah, definitely. Or even something simple like they get bought out and a new company just doesn't want to deal with you anymore because you're too small or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or worse yet, you're they work the vendor isn't isn't just a big vendor. It's one guy at that office just cares about you and then he retires. Yes. And the office doesn't even know you exist. Yes. Uh, and and quite frankly, I know several uh instances, I mean real life instances, recent instances that the vendor is one person. Yeah. And it's it's a one and I'm not being sexist, a one man shop because I haven't seen a one woman shop yet, but I'm sure they're there, but there's a one man shop for several key systems that I said, you know, this is a business continuity problem you have with this. You need to mm -hmm. figure this out. This is not good. Yeah. So well, know how to turn on and off your lights. That's the mantra that we have. <laughs> there you go. You know, we always say keep on, keep the lights on, but also keep the lights off when they need to be off. because it, <laughs> it does cost money. All right. And for a totally different topic, I, I know you are not just a fan of R, but also the noted author of a book on the R programming yes. language. I only learned, I don't I'm know. I, mean, I don't know how noted I am by it. <laughs> and I, I don't know how old or new, I didn't look up the history about this GNU Octave, uh, but I just learned about it yesterday. Uh, I don't even see the version number, so I'm not sure what the version number is, but... Ah, 7.3.0. So it's been around a while. But uh, I, I just noticed it last night. I, I, I don't know why I noticed. I saw it mentioned somewhere. Uh, the last release was last November, so it's not a new release or anything. But GNU Octave is a scientific programming language. Um, it, it looks like you can, uh, I mean, it's, it's open source, of course, because it's GNU. Uh, but you can get a binary installer for Windows. And for everything else, you just sort of, you're on your own to, you know, download the source and build from source, which is fine. Um, it says it's compatible with MATLAB. So for those who use MATLAB yeah. and can't afford it <laughs> or don't want to afford well, that, it. That is the first thing that jumped out at me. You know, looking at this compatible with MATLAB, uh, that is something that makes this hugely, uh, I suppose, attractive to a lot of people. 
Yeah, there you go. Uh, anywho, GNU, you know, uh, well-known uh, keeper of the open source uh, projects. And it's octave.org, octave actually, but it's a GNU it's a GNU uh, sourced thing, and it's uh, it's even got the graphics in it, which is kind of neat. Um, not just the mathematics; it's got 2D, 3D plotting. So something to look at. I might even look at it now that I'm retired and have time to just play with things. So I'm going to keep that tab open and talk about that a little later. Um, I recently decided, and I'll, it might come up on a future podcast episode. Uh -huh. uh, if we do, it'll it'll be more dedicated. But I've recently looked at my tech learning goals for 2023 so uh -huh. i think it's always a good idea to be expanding your abilities with tech because why not sure so sure i mean there used to be a time and that time has passed for me but there used to be a time when i was learning a new programming language it seemed like every 12 or 18 months you know and not because it was fun but because it was necessary because <laughs> 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 there are so many things that are happening uh, that you know, you did a new uh, language, or not new to me anyway. I had a conversation with my human factors engineering class this week. One of the projects they have to do this semester is a self-directed project where they have to identify a problem on our campus. They have to research a solution. They first have to establish with data that it is an actual problem. It's not mm -hmm. just a preference. They have to then find a solution that has research behind it, and then pitch it to whoever the owner is of the the situation. Yeah, and uh, I I brought up uh, something I had fixed years ago and rolled out, and I said, "But you know, guys, this was a weird situation where I was the person that could observe the problem. I was the person that could design a solution. I was the mm -hmm. person who could develop the solution. I was the person who could deploy the solution. I was the person who could also change the operating procedure. That now we had to use that solution. It was the uh -huh. only solution. Right. Right. And I right. said that is." You never find that in no. where the sole one person can do that. But it's nice to be able to do it if you're in a shop where that's the possibility. Right. Yeah, unless you're in a real small entity, uh, that is very rare indeed. And you are not in a small entity. <laughs> not, not right now, but at the time and in the scope I was in, it was small enough. And I will say that that solution that I developed in 2009 is still up and running today. Wow. So it... It has good longevity for not for being a two-hour programming job in definitely, 2009. Definitely. Definitely. So anyway, Octave. GNU uh, Octave at octave.org. I'm going to take a look at it later. Um, being lazy, I will probably install it on a Windows machine. Because <laughs> I don't want to build from source. I may not even have the tools. I don't even, I, I, you know, I don't even know what it's written in. Uh, I may not even have the C compiler or whatever I need for it. But uh, I guess I could do it on a Mac. But at any rate, speaking of Macs and Apples, uh, pre-Mac, the, the precursor to the Mac, the Apple Lisa, for those of you old enough to remember it, I actually saw one, by the way, <laughs> in person, touched it with my own hand. Never used it, but I was able to see one. The Apple Lisa was, for its time, a remarkable, remarkable GUI-based uh, computer from, from, of course, Apple. And uh, its source code has been released as open source by uh, the Computer History Museum. So if yeah. you wanted to see what the early Apple graphical operating system looked like, take a look at it. By the way, the reason I know why I never had one is because it was $10,000, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and back then I was like a poor, let's see, was I a grad student? Yeah, I was a working grad student. I actually had a job, but I was still a grad student. 
and um, at ten thousand dollars, so there's just a whole lot of money. You know, you could practically practically buy a car. You know, well at least you could put a good hefty down payment for a car with that much money. Um, but it was really interesting. You know, it was sort of uh, concepts are appropriated, shall we say, from the Xerox star. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be indicative of Apple's early history. A lot of concepts. Of course, Microsoft adopted a lot of things from Xerox as well. Uh, it is so weird to think that the idea of modern windowed interfaces comes yeah. from Xerox, and they never get associated with it. Of course, mm. they're also, uh, mm. what is that term when uh, you become the generic of something? You know, people Xerox like Kleenex. instead of just copying yeah. yeah, there is an actual term for that um, yeah. when you lose your trademark because it's become the generic. Yeah, when, you're, when your name uh, becomes a verb. <laughs> yes, and I think it's just called a generic trademark okay. at that point. It becomes a generic uh, idea, but yeah, for Xerox. Yeah, well, in a I lot of ways. Before. They're still around. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, they also, I don't know if you, people... I don't, you know, I've actually never seen anybody's claim they invented it, but they're certainly an early um, creator of object-oriented programming and using Smalltalk. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I actually had to go take a Smalltalk uh, course from, at, uh, not at, but from Xerox Park. I did it in Dallas, actually. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, object-oriented programming, this is like ages and ages old. Of course, nobody actually thinks about that anymore. <laughs> but... But in the day, in the day, it was a big deal. So there you go. And it's, I'll, I will have a link to the Computer History Museum, uh, computerhistory.org, that talks about the code release and its significance and where you can download it and all that kind of good stuff. Not sure what you would do with it, except to read it, I guess. Some enterprising person will probably rebuild it in a VM somewhere. But that'll, be, that'll be kind of interesting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is... We were talking about, well, we've been talking about chat GPT and some other AI type chat kind of things in the last couple of couple of podcasts. And it's probably, it's become really even a hotter topic recently, I noticed. It seems to be all I see when I go on YouTube nowadays. Uh, but CNET has actually been using AI to write their, blog, their <laughs> articles for a while, apparently. Uh, yep. I think if you see sort of a staff attribution on some of the CNET articles in the last six months or so, that was not a human. That that staff attribution was because the staff was an AI bot writing it. Apparently, and it was, I think The Verge had an article about it a, a week or so ago and kind of outing them. And now CNET is, the, the Verge again reports that CNET is pausing the AI article generation. And I have to say, you know, I probably read a few and I really never thought anything about it. So at least for my low-level intelligence, it passed the Turing test, right? And say, hey, this piece of junk was written by a bot. You know, it's, that's not a human <laughs> writing this piece of junk. Uh, on the other hand, there's so much junk written by humans that maybe I just couldn't tell the difference. But uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's interesting. You would uh, People don't pay much for... For, uh, speaking from experience, people don't pay much to write blog entries anyway, uh, which is why I know one one person reached out for a kind of a startup tech thing that they were doing. And I said, ah, no, I don't want to work for $20 or 500 words, whatever it is you're going to pay. <laughs> you know, some ridiculous amount. They didn't actually <laughs> mention money, but that's what I figured to be some ridiculously low amount. Um, so at any rate, so there, CNET, which is you know well-known... Technology uh, news site. I think it's owned by CBS, isn't it? 
Might be. Might be owned by uh, CBS. That's a good question. I don't know who owns Or Bina. Viacom or, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they are pausing it. And I hope I hope the uh, the Verge article is written by human. It's not a bot writing about a you know bot losing its job or something. But that'd be very sad. So let's see. Oh, it says. Oh, here we go. It says Red Ventures owns CNET. So I guess CNET got sold again. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting, John. With uh, you know, although you've pointed out some of the inaccuracies, the factual inaccuracies, uh, or maybe even logical inaccuracies of ChatGPT and some other AI chatbots, but Apparently, apparently, at least, you know, just for tearing through a press release and rewriting it for a blog, which isn't that hard, really. Uh, especially if you want to have a certain style. And there are some editors that are really picky about, you know, having the same voice as whatever their publication is. Um, mm-hmm. This is perfect, right? You you program the AI to have a certain voice, and everything you everything comes out of it would be in your in that voice. So, yeah, what do you think? You know, I, I just think CNET and, you know, CNET and all these blogs that went generic in a sense where they didn't, you know, they got rid of the writing staff and they yeah. went to AI. I don't know what they're now contributing to the discussion. When you take people out, is it just bots talking to other bots at yeah. this point where we're not really seeing much so? I hate to say it, as much as I remember the glory days of CNET and all of its related, you know, IP and all that. I think it just might be time to say, unless you're doing something that has a, a connection to a readership or a listenership or a viewership, and eh, maybe we just don't do these articles anymore. Maybe headlines aren't enough. I often talk to people and they'll say, "Well, did you hear about blank?" I'll say, "Yeah, I saw a headline on that." Yeah, and I find that they they've read the article and they don't know any more than I do, and I just read the headline. <laughs> so I don't even know if half of these articles in and this is not just technology, but in a lot of publications these days, if there's yeah. any more meat to anything than just the headline. Yeah, uh, that's I've heard so people true. Talk about how you know, uh, and even you know, people talking about with SEO. The idea that the third paragraph is where the article actually starts. Right. It doesn't start in the first and second paragraph. No. That's all filler stuff just to get you dragged down past a few dozen banner ads. And then right. maybe you'll actually get to the content. It's the same reason why every recipe blog now has to tell you the history of their family before they get to the recipe. And craft blogs have to talk about 800 different things before they give you a pattern. <laughs> it's just the way the world is starting to run. And it's. It's kind yeah. of an annoying thing. It is. Uh, it really is. It's kind of the point that uh, when my wife and I find a recipe we like, one of the programs we've used for a long time is a piece of software called AnyList. And oh, I remember that. For a, yeah, for yeah. a combined shopping list. But it also has a recipe importer, and then the recipe importer can add to your shopping list all that. I like it because the recipe importer will suck that recipe off a web page. Usually get it right, format it nicely, and then any list has a print function that I can save to PDF. So when I see an art, when I see a recipe I like, I can do that, and it formats it in what I want, and it still gives yeah. attribution to the original web page I got it from, and all that. But I don't have a 85-page printout that I only need the last three pages there of. There you go. I have a two-page PDF that has just the steps and the ingredients. Yeah, you know, it's funny because people with a journalism background, I do not, but people with a journalism background, and I know several, you know, always, at least people my age, always say, you know, don't bury the lead, right? L-E-D-E, lead. Yeah. yeah. And and it seems like with SEO, it's the whole thing is to, yes, bury the lead. 
you know, as far as yeah. as far as you can to force the poor, you know, person that's clicked on your click clickbait link to, you know, read six paragraphs, which could have been summarized in four sentences. Uh, but yeah, it it is annoying, and I've had you know, and I I maybe because I'm getting old and you know, uh, not too sharp. But I will click on clickbaity links like, oh, did you know blah blah blah? And it's like I read three paragraphs. I still don't know why it is like this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I still. <laughs> so I stop reading. I go, eh, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. So anyway, I you know I wonder. I think I think I read a while back, like years ago, maybe that's a lot of sports. Um, Articles were written by bots like years and years ago. This is not even a new yeah. thing, you know, where you really don't need to, for short items at least, you know, for not, you know, like team one, team two had this score and so many RBIs. And I mean, that's all, you know, easy to do for, you really don't even need AI. You just need just some, a little bit of logic to tear through yeah. some data. Yeah. Okay. So CNET's calling them experience experiments in AI generated technology, and they didn't tell their staff, so their staff didn't know, which is interesting. You know, the other thing, I, I don't know if you've noticed this too, but, and maybe I'm just showing my age, but in the old days, which you know, it's not that old, ten, five, ten, fifteen years ago, um, even before blogs were a thing, you know, whatever you want to call the. CNETs were not, was not a blog at that point, although I guess you could have. The writers for ZDNet and CNET and some of the other well-known technology news sources had a voice and personality. You knew you would read something sometimes simply because somebody you, whose opinion you valued or trusted wrote that piece. Yeah. Uh, or you know, had a knack for breaking technology news in a way that was easy to understand. But I don't think I see that anymore, really. You mean like our fives of listeners are devoted to us because we're just so great? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, we, we try. Uh, <laughs> I think it is something that uh, we are we're we're losing. We're losing yeah. this idea that uh, you have a a legitimate voice. It's. And, you know, if you're going to have a voice, have a real voice. If you're not going to have a voice, then just give me headlines. <laughs> I yeah, don't need I your bot so. to have a voice. I guess so. Uh, any rate, I, I kind of miss that stuff. Uh, and, and really, the last item I wanted to mention is, I, I guess, technology adjacent, because you need technology to see it. And it's also, I won't call it one of my favorite trilogies, but it was a intriguing trilogy uh it's called the three body problem well the, the first novel of the trilogy is called the three body problem um and for everybody who took you know first semester of physics someplace knows what the three body problem is i won't go into it because i'll probably mess it up you know, as simple as it is <laughs> but basically you know three bodies in motion blah 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 um any rate, the it, it was written by an uh, an author in mainland china and f which makes it a little bit novel pun intended uh, because it was so widely regarded. It won the 2015 Hugo Award. I think it was nominated for the Nebula for Best Novel. Um, I I actually bought and downloaded all the uh, audiobook versions from Audible for the three novels, and they are long. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a slog through some of them, although it's a pretty interesting slog, if you will, because there's a lot of background info, especially for those of us who are not familiar with Chinese 20th century Chinese history 
uh, and culture, it's you learn a lot, I guess, from that about the because it starts in a cultural revolution and then goes um, spoiler till the end of time. <laughs> so it's a long <laughs> novel <laughs> uh, about a slow motion alien invasion, especially essentially. I guess that's a one way to describe it. It probably doesn't do justice to it, but that's the way I I would describe it in less than five hundred words. Anyway, the interesting thing is, so it came. It, it actually came out in two thousand six, I think, as a serialized novel. Um, again, won the won the Hugo twenty fifteen. It you know got caused quite a stir because it, it had such interesting concepts in it and was so well uh, well translated for those of us who can't read Mandarin. Um, and it is now available. At least the first episode. It is now available as a TV series. Uh, the first episode is a is available for free on YouTube and I'll put a link to it in there. And if you are a subscriber like me to the Viki.com, Viki is spelled V-I-K-I, mm-hmm. um, streaming service, which is basically international shows. Um, I think there might be a few, yes, but mostly it's from, it's from Asia and even Europe and I South, basically it's every place but the U.S. generally speaking. Uh, we are a <laughs> fan of international shows. International, if you're not there, you know, if you're in the U.S., everything outside of us is international. But uh, Vicky.com has the full, and I was I was a little taken aback because first of all, it's a long book, so I, I couldn't figure out how they would do it and say a miniseries. It is a thirty episode <laughs> series for the first novel, from what I can tell. <laughs> So uh, the first 10 of which are available on Viki.com. It is uh, in progress. This is not something that's already all out in, in China. And uh, Viki does the, the English, uh, sub- as well as other language. Uh, if, you don't, well, if you don't speak English, you're probably not listening to this podcast. But it does the English language subtitles. Um, that's a good point. Well, I mean, if an AI listened to us and then translated, translated. us into your language, then maybe you're listening to us. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the... you. You're talking about this, and I'm reminded of a story I told just last night about how in undergraduate, I had to take two non-Western civ history courses, uh-huh. and I took China and Japan. Oh, interesting. And yeah, because I thought that it would be interesting to kind of hear you know, these two countries that unfortunately a lot of Americans confuse yeah. like, in some ways. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> how, here's how not to take it so that you're confused. I took they were they were one day a week classes. Okay. And one of them met on Tuesday mornings. Okay. The other met on Thursday mornings. Okay. They were taught by the same adjunct professor <laughs> in the same classroom <laughs> at the same time. Except different days. So it really sort of felt really sort of felt like I was in the same class, except we talked a lot more about China on one day and a lot more about Japan on the other day. <laughs> I mean, it was a great class. I enjoyed the classes that I took, but it was a little bit you know, disorienting. Which one am I in right now? Gee, which one, which country in that region have we been talking more about today? Because uh, you know, when you learn, if you learn history of a country that's from a, a good source, it yeah. will be placed in context of its geography and in the place right. of what's going on in its neighbors and, and right. things like that. And I know Japan have had some tumultuous relationships oh, yeah. over you know, Still. the last uh, thousands of years. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but I do not recommend if you want to try to keep your classes distinct, having them taught with that many similarities. 
That is, I have, I don't even have anything that's even close to that in my experience. That is fascinating. <laughs> I have yeah, sitting, I have sitting the same. Oh, more interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the instructor was not of Chinese or Japanese descent. Really? That's so, really interesting. Yeah, it was someone who is completely outside the culture teaching about it, but knew a lot about both right, cultures, right. obviously. Well, yeah, you know, an adjunct, he was an older adjunct that, you know, was... <laughs> And a lot of years of experience reading about such right. topics. Well, ethnicity is not a barrier to knowledge, right? Yes. <laughs> you might recall, and this is a bit of trivia that nobody but John and I will care about, that we were at a uh, at a Microsoft MVP summit years and years ago, and which is an international event with MVPs from all over the world. And um, you were not, I don't know if you were standing near us, but I was standing with uh, Andrew Shuttleworth, you might recall. Now, Andrew, as you might call, is a Caucasian. Uh, I, I believe he is from somewhere in the UK, probably Great Britain. Uh, but he has lived in Asia for like decades. Even back then, he had been there for many, many years. And I remember some Japanese, na and I am of Japanese descent. I'm a Japanese American. And uh, some Japanese nationals came up to me and asked me a question. I could understand what they were saying, but I couldn't answer because my Japanese is horrible. Andrew, of course, who at the time... I don't know if what his hair color is now, but I think was sort of a light blonde color, you know, typical Caucasian, stereotypical Caucasian look. He's fluent in Japanese, so I pointed, uh, Andrew, Andrew, can you answer that? <laughs> and <laughs> I think this just threw these two people for a loop. But any rate, yes, ethnicities are not a barrier to knowledge. <laughs> but although in my case, uh, it is a, I, I do have a barrier, and that is my terrible lack of fluency. But anyhow. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, so if you are a science fiction fan, as I am, and you uh, are you were interested in this these this trilogy, but perhaps did not have a chance to read it or listen to it as I did in Audible, uh, there you go. The first episode, at least, is I think it's like forty minutes long, is on YouTube, and the first ten episodes is available on Viki.com. So I'm gonna try to take a look at. It. I hope it's not too slow. That's one of my. It's a very slow novel. I mean, it's a very long novel. And as I said, it starts with the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s in China and goes to the end of time. So it's <laughs> it's got it's got quite a a range of time periods to deal with. Um, and that is about it. Uh, again, Happy Lunar New Year, Year of the Rabbit. And uh, John, got anything else? Otherwise, I am done, sir. Uh, no, uh, like I said, just, uh, if you're interested in psychology, technology, yep. community, academics, any of those things, head on over to, uh, join uh, the discord at go.johnwalkpaul.com slash psychout. Yep. And link will be in the blog. If you can't remember that you're driving and you don't want to write, you know, don't, please don't write it down. Or driving. you can go to. You could go to johnwestfall.com. I'll have a blog post up later today go. that'll have the link and all that. So J-O-N-W-E-S-T-F-A-L-L.com. There you go. Thank you, everybody, to our fives as listeners, and we'll talk to you next time.